Welcome to the Ross Road Connect podcast. I'm Holly. And I'm Craig. And we are your hosts as we talk all things church, life, theology, faith, and beyond. Welcome to the podcast today, Craig. How are you doing on this fine Um, afternoon? I'm great. Um, It is the afternoon now, but it may not be for our listeners. It might be morning or evening, so, or night. true. Yeah. Hey, when is your favorite time to listen to a podcast? Oh, my favorite time to listen to a podcast is, well, probably just when I'm driving. So that could be any time. But, um, or when I'm like mowing the lawn or something, that's another good time. Hmm. Yep. I would agree. Definitely. Like when you're cleaning or already doing something else, like, yeah, definitely driving is a good one. Like I don't, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) I love running Uh, (laughs) and just exercise in general. (laughs) Uh, But you know what? I don't think I could ever just like sit down and listen to a podcast. Like I know that some people do that, but I don't think I could. I always have to have like multiple things on the go something else going on now when you listen to podcasts do you listen to them at regular speed or do you like speed them up well i am a normal person so i listen to them at normal speed okay yeah yeah me too but there are people who listen at like double speed to podcasts and i'm not sure how you can comprehend that fast so no and you know what i also very much like savor my podcasts because you know if they only come out once or twice a week then I don't want to speed through them. I want to be able to, you know, like savor them. Sounds like you slow them down and listen to them. No, no. (laughs) Hey, there's an idea. I mean, honestly, (laughs) oh, that's good. Wow. Um, Craig, how was uh, your Thanksgiving weekend? It was, um, didn't really feel like Thanksgiving, to be honest with you. Uh, We, so we've been painting our house and we started this over the Labor Day weekend. We did like four, nine or 10 hour days uh, to paint the house inside. That sounds absolutely awful. Um, it, after a while, it was, but it was also kind of fun to see it change. Like we moved in a year ago and almost immediately said, we want to paint this. Like it was a tannish brown color. So it wasn't awful, but it wasn't what we would have chosen. So, kind of like the wall that's behind you right now in your office? Um, no, worse than that. Oh. Yeah, I'm at church in my office, and it's it's got more gray in this color here, but it was definitely, like, brown and yeah, kind of dark. Awesome. And the walls, had, like, they needed, needed to be painted again, even if you were going to paint it the same color. And the baseboards right. were all gross and whatnot. So mm-hmm. we painted uh, Labor Day weekend for all that time. So Thanksgiving weekend, we wanted to finish, and we got we're just like almost done, like just a little bit around the stairs to touch up and finish, but uh, it was a marathon. So, and then Thanksgiving dinner, I use quotes around dinner. Uh, I mean, Thanksgiving dinner, it was dinner, <laughs> definitely was dinner. We ate food. And confirm you ate dinner that night. <laughs> but it, it had been my brother's birthday a couple of weeks prior and we hadn't had, uh, he was away, so we didn't get together for that. So this mm-hmm. was his birthday dinner. And so he decided he wanted to do a beef dip instead of like a turkey dinner. So we had beef dip and strawberry cheesecake for Thanksgiving dinner, which uh, was very good. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. But it was not the traditional Thanksgiving dinner that I Mm -hmm. normally would have had. And then Jenny's family was out of town. So we're going to do that later on this month yet. So of course, anyway, long story short, it was great. 
um, just good. to feel like Thanksgiving-y in my yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel the same way. Like it definitely was very different than a normal Thanksgiving. Uh, usually I'm in Penticton. Like it was actually right. really interesting. Like Corey and I looked at each other at the service on Sunday and I was like, I haven't, like, we haven't been to a Sunday on Thanksgiving in a really like a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, usually my sister lives in, or she lived in Penticton. So we would go up there for Thanksgivings for as long as I can remember, but she's in the process of moving. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. They're moving to Harrison. They have a house. So they're currently in a rental that is very small. So they didn't have any space to host and nobody else in my family owns a house right now. <laughs> so we didn't, uh, yeah, we didn't have a Thanksgiving dinner and my other sister, Catherine was gone, uh, this weekend. So, and then Corey's family also didn't do anything. So it felt very like, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't feel like a normal Thanksgiving weekend, but I did get invited to my friend Keenan's uh, family Thanksgiving. Uh, cause he heard I wasn't doing anything. So he's like, okay, just come be with my family. <laughs> so nice. That was really, really nice. So I still got uh Thanksgiving dinner and it was, uh, it was a great, great night. So yeah. It was Wasn't it last thanks or was it Christmas where you cooked a thanks, like a din- turkey dinner yourself? It was, I did it for last Christmas for 2020. Yeah. That was just Jess and Corey and myself. That was when the restrictions were super tight. Right. And then we made another turkey with like a couple more friends for Easter. So I've done two turkeys now, but yeah, our first, our first turkey was, I feel like I might've told the story in the podcast before. I don't remember, but yeah, our first turkey was 20 pounds for three people. It was, and I don't know, like we had decided the three of us that we would get a small turkey and then Jess comes over with this gigantic turkey. And, uh, it was a marathon, let me tell you, but, uh, it was delicious. It ended up being really, really good. Nice. So I was proud of us. And now we know that we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, remember I grew up on a Turkey farm, so farmed these creatures and, uh, every once in a while, for whatever reason, somebody had asked for a special thing or whatever, uh, the flock of turkeys would be shipped out and and sent to the, the processing plant but we would keep like one or a handful and we would keep them around for the next flock in the barn and so they would yeah. live in the barn in their own special little cage so we could you know keep them you know separate from the rest but they were so much bigger than all the other ones and they would become these massive birds right and i always wondered what it would be like to have one of those turkeys see that's really really where I thought this story was going when you first started telling it. <laughs> where did you think so, I was going? Well, that's, well, I did. I thought that you, you know, you were going to say you were going to keep those and then you ate uh, those turkeys, but if that oh. story didn't get there, they were always for somebody else, like, right. you know, so, yeah. but well, they grow, good. they grow to become actually quite menacing when they're kind of older like that. Like, really? They're mean when they get old. Oh, well then, you know, I can feel less bad about, uh, eating them. Did you feel I bad mean, before? I don't super feel bad, but I mean, you know, as most of our, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know. There's, you know, there's rumors floating around the church that I'm a vegan. Uh, there's rumors floating around that I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I'm actually neither of those things. I just don't eat like red meat. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, so I, I do harbor a little bit of guilt when I eat, uh, you know, 
like turkey, but not, not, a, no, you know, not as much as the other things. We'll so start calling you, somehow. we'll start calling you a vegan is what we'll call you. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. That's, uh, <laughs> that's great. I remember there was one year at mine, cause my sisters both really like, my one sister is a vegetarian and the other like really prides herself on getting like good locally, I don't know, grown ethnic food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just remember one year she got a turkey and we spent like quite a bit of money on it. And she was like, this turkey has lived a better life than I have. So <laughs> you don't need to feel bad about eating it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so good. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Wow. Just, are you also trying to think of how to land the plane right now to get into our, uh, conversation for today? Um, I, I was not actually, but, um, but now I am. Right. <laughs> you know, I as always, I don't know how to do it. You know? I know as always, I think, uh, there's going to be some, tur- well, you know, you know what? Okay. No, I hear, I got it. So this Sunday was Thanksgiving yes. well, Monday, technically. Yes. And, um, you know, on Sundays for the last few weeks now, <laughs> we have been doing church a little differently. Did you like that segue? Was that good? Uh, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah. 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 I was hoping I for a pun know. somewhere, but you know, that's okay. Oh, uh, yeah. I chickened out. I couldn't, uh, oh. I couldn't think of that. that was pretty good. That was on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. That I, I don't know that I could have done any better, but, uh, I thought it was pretty foul, you know, and you know what? Uh, but you still gobbled it up. So <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's the Holly we've come to know and love. Wow. That I feel great. We should just end the podcast right here <laughs> before we even get into the conversation yeah. today. Yeah. Wow. If you've still listened to all of this, thank you, honestly. Uh, <laughs> so like I was saying, in the past few weeks of church, we've been trying out a little bit of a different format. Uh, we've integrated something called the learning hour, which is actually something uh, we've kind of thought about as a staff for a long time. But this year, we kind of ripped the Band-Aid and decided to go for it. So, uh, Craig, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that has looked like and what about um, like what you guys have been learning in the last bit? Yeah, so it has been lots of fun, um, and I think it's been worthwhile. Uh, I've got lots of positive feedback from people about it. And I think the conversation that's happened in it has been really good. Now, we should say that because of COVID and uh, trying to give people more space in our services, we're changing models back to two services at the end of the month of October. So that uh, kind of force will force us to speed up our process in the learning hour uh, for adults anyways. And um, we'll have to figure out how we want to accommodate that kind of a thing going forward. But we've been reading this book called How to Think Theologically. And we've been discussing a chapter a week, basically, as we've gone through the last number of weeks. So we're about halfway through the book as we talk now. Um, It's been really good for a number of reasons. I think it's forced some conversation. Forced sounds like a violent term. Uh, it's facilitated some conversation around theology and how we think in, in that way. And it started to, among the group of us, give us some common language even to talk about theological issues. And I think so that's been a really good thing. So I've heard of the conversations that we've had on Sunday mornings 
extending into homes and and into thinking throughout the week, which is what we want to want to do. So, yeah, um, so uh, do you want me to give a bit of a, a overview of the book that we've studied so far? Yeah, I would love that. Honestly, I'm sad that I haven't been able to participate myself in uh, the learning hour because I've been leading Sunday school during or Sunday school for middle school during that time. So I feel like, yeah, the book sounds really interesting to me. So maybe I'll still read it. But yeah, definitely. Uh, give me uh, give me the rundown. Yeah, it's not a hard read. It's about 140 pages or something. Well, like uh, oh, I mean, hey, uh, so. <laughs> Just kidding, that's probably fine. <laughs> I would say you have to read it deliberatively like you can right. rush through it but yeah it, um it's not like so and and this maybe would be the first point like when you think theology um what kinds of words do you think of hmm. like doctrine like i don't know different denominations those are the first things that come to my mind mm -hmm. so yeah. We think, so I think we think of theology in kind of heady terms, right? Like mm. the word doctrine is the first, like where else would you use the word doctrine if not in Literally. theology, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Nowhere. In school, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we think of theology as something done by academics in like, you know, libraries or in seminaries or, you know, people with long beards surrounded by Greek books, you know, like that. That, that is kind exactly of, what I think of. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of a, a vibe to it. Yeah. And so th if that's the case, then theology is inaccessible to most people because most people don't live in that environment. Totally. Um, so the first premise of the book is that we all think theologically, like we just do, whether you realize it or not, if you call yourself a Christian, you think theologically, you you are evaluating things through a Christian lens. So they defined theology as faith-seeking understanding. Hmm. So that's something that's all of us do yeah. uh, in every area of life. Like I, I would suggest to you that if you ever are giving thought to what kind of media you want to consume, you're thinking theologically. Um, yeah. how, how does my faith impact what I'm going to see? Is this a Christian thing to do or not. Uh, and, and it actually moves from the realm of just the head into action. So we want to understand things, but if theology doesn't actually make a difference in how we live, then what's the point, right? Like, I mean, we do need to think through big questions like how does the Trinity work or how does God's love and God's justice coexist? Like those are theological questions that we need to, to think through and, and the kind of people who think academically help us to think through those things in practical terms. But I always loved one of my seminary professors who would always say, uh, Brian Cooper, who we had on the podcast uh, at some point, um, if your theology doesn't actually make a practical difference in your life, then it, then it doesn't really matter. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, for instance, if you think about something like the Trinity, you think, well, so what, like, why does that doctrine actually matter? Well, one of the implications of that is that even God exists in community. And so there's a model there for how we are also to exist in community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if God himself exists in this kind of relationship, then how do we model our own relationships around that kind of a, a concept? So there's a practical outworking to a theological idea. So that's where the book starts, faith-seeking understanding. Um, we move then to talk about, and I think you and I discussed this on the podcast once about the difference between embedded theology and deliberative theology. 
Well, and so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So if you remember the example I used was one time when I was a kid, my dad told me it was disrespectful to cross your arms when you're praying. And so now even today, whenever I'm somebody starts praying and I'm, my arms are crossed, I like unfold them immediately because mm -hmm. it's just what I was told. Right. right. Um, that's an example of an embedded theology, something I picked up over time in this case, because of what my dad told me, but there's no chapter and verse in scripture that says that's what you should do. It's right. just a practice that I've picked up over time. And so um, there are these things that because of the, the way that we grew up, the, the church tradition we're a part of, um, the kind of, of practices that people around us have done when it comes to the faith, um, there are these kind of embedded understandings of how theology works that we all carry around with us. So one example I gave, uh, which um, came out of a, a class that I'm in right now on Indigenous, Canadian Indigenous realities in the Canadian church, was the speaker uh, is a, a Cree man. Um, his name is Ray Aldred. Uh, he works at, I want to say the Vancouver School of Theology at UBC. And um, he was telling us about one of the Indigenous prayer practices. So um, praying with sage, like uh, burning sage. So praying with smoke. Right. And so he said, I'm going to do this for you. Like we were on zoom. So he said, I'm going to, I'm going to actually just do this in front of you. And he said, mm -hmm. I want you to pay attention to the kinds of things that you're feeling and thinking when you, when you see me do this, you know, I'm praying to God, but I'm doing it in a different kind of way than you're used to. Um, so, how, you know, what kinds of, um, preconceptions do you have about this? And so he said, when you start, you take off your jewelry and he says, I'm going to light some sage. And he had a feather and was kind of waving the smoke around. And he prayed in four directions, north, west, south, east, or maybe east and then west. I can't remember. But um, so it was interesting. And, and, we, and at the end, there was a Q&A. And someone said, why do you take your jewelry off? And I loved it. He said, you know what? I don't know. But that's how I was taught to do this. And these are some reasons why maybe I do this, but I've taught other people to do it this way, but I don't actually know the answer to that. And I think we all have those kinds of things. And, and I'm not making any judgment on whether he should or shouldn't have done that. I just thought it was an interesting example of embedded theology. We all have those kinds of, of things that we just do because that's what we do. But if you were asked, why do you do that? You might kind of struggle to find the right language to explain why. Um, one of the examples in the book was a, a group of, of people who were asked, you know, why is it important to go to church? And so they were kind of fumbling through answers of, well, it's the body of Christ or, um, you know, it's important to be in community. And those things are true, but they was, there wasn't any depth beyond that. It's kind of the searching for the, the top level answer. Whereas yeah. deliberative theology then goes deeper into those questions and says, this is why this is what I believe about going to church or, you know, prayer practices or, or those kinds of things. Um, that's really, that's really interesting. And it, it sounds like kind of what we're talking about, like with our youth right now, even for middle school youth is like just getting to the core of like, we're calling the series, like why we do what we do. Uh, we've done a series like this uh, many years ago now, but just, yeah, ask, asking like the basic questions of like, yeah, why do we go to youth group and like, mm -hmm. why, what like what do we do at church why do we like try to do things to serve and just kind of getting to those like basics and not just like yeah taking it at face value and just kind of thinking oh it's because i've always done this but like oh why 
yeah. do we do that? So that's really yeah. interesting. And, and and it's important because if you don't do that extra work, then when challenges come in life, you you're you can easily yeah. forget about those things or say, well, maybe it wasn't important after all. Um, you know, there's nothing so like cool. pain to force you to deliberate, right? Like, yeah. like um, if you if you are well, for instance, you probably, Holly, like when when you lost your dad, mm-hmm. that was probably a moment in your life where you had to be like, oh, okay, well, th- what about God's character do I understand when my dad died? Uh, when I was, how old were you, 16 or something? Yeah, 15 or 16. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's those are big questions to ask, right? Yeah. But for someone who hasn't gone through that, they maybe haven't asked those questions at the depth that you have because your experience forced you to. And so what we want to try and do is as much as we can, and we can't foresee every situation that's going to happen in our lives, but as much as we can, how can we think deliberatively, deeply about these things so that when these kinds of situations arise, we have the, not just the theological language, but uh, the resources to be able to handle those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because I think back to my experience and even when I did lose my dad, because I was so young and I didn't really like, I like back then I wouldn't like, I went to like church on Sundays and I went to camp in the summers, but that was kind of where it ended. And like, I would, you know, really, really love camp and love Jesus like in the summer. But then during the rest of the year, it just didn't really mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that's in the time when I lost my dad. And so, because I wasn't really like, it wasn't super something that was for myself yet. I definitely like, yeah, my faith really struggled for a while because I didn't have those like fundamental answers of like, okay. oh, well, why can I still trust God? Why can I still lean on God and, you know, believe that he's good. Yeah. So it wasn't until like a lot later that I actually kind of went back to God. Right. So you're right. That's a perfect example of why it is so fundamental to know deeply what you believe in. Yeah. 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 And sometimes you won't even know what questions to ask until you get to that kind of scenario. Yeah, um, definitely. But that's part of what the book is trying to help us to do is say, what, what are the tools that we use as theologians? So one of the other uh, helpful images they use is the idea of a, a template, like a theological template. So they use the example of a doctor, right? Like if you go to the doctor and you say, um, you know, my chest hurts, they're going to be sitting there thinking through all of their, you know, however many decades of school they had to go through to get to become a doctor and all of their experience. And they're going to be thinking about what you're telling them in terms that you are not thinking as the patient, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I just know my chest hurts. I don't know all of the things going on inside. I don't know the medical terms. Um, I don't know what kind of treatment is available or medication would be appropriate for this. But the doctor is thinking through all of his or her uh, medical template to think of all of these terms and all of these possibilities. They're running through that subconsciously almost because it's, it comes second nature to them because it's what they do. And that's what we're trying to do as theologians, which we all are is mm-hmm. have that same kind of operating system working in the background where we come into situations in life. And our first thought is to think through it from a, a Christian perspective a, a theological perspective, a way of our faith seeking understanding in this kind of scenario. Um, and so that's what we're trying to build as we go through the process. So um, there are, uh, I mean, there's lots we could talk about from the book. Um, 
one of the one of the things they talk about is is our our task of interpreting and correlating and assessing. And so when we come to a particular issue in life or situation in life, we're going to think to ourselves, we're going to interpret it. So what does it mean from a Christian perspective to approach this? How is how does faith in God actually affect how I think about this? Um, but then we're also going to correlate it. So we're going to say, when I look around the world, there's all of these other options that that you know could explain this, right? So yeah. you know, think again about the loss of your dad, right? So how does my faith in God impact how I'm going to process the loss of a family member? Um, well, what are the other options available to me? Like maybe maybe this was pure chance and there was nothing personal about this at all. Maybe um, maybe God doesn't exist, right? Maybe this was just you know fate, the cruel hands of fate that dealt me this hand. Um, maybe my Christian faith would lead me to believe that God had a role to play in this. Maybe God did this. Um, you know, how does, how does good and evil work when it comes to God and his sovereignty over, over death and disease, right? So what are all the options on how I can interpret this? And then we're going to assess those options um, and say, what is the best possible way for me to understand this from a, a, a biblical perspective and a theological perspective? Hmm. because there's lots of options in the world, right? Yeah, definitely. And a theological template is often not the only one operating in our minds. There's often other ways of thinking from our culture that are all also at play within us. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's why we, we want to constantly be renewing our minds as Romans 12 says. Hmm. So, so that those, that thinking process can be, um, Christ centered rather than culture centered or world centered. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's, yeah. That's really interesting. And I think like, yeah, there's totally a place to like, yeah. Even if you want to like explore those, like, yeah, those other, I guess, lenses, like how does culture see this? How does the world see this? But I think like, yeah, seeing that when you're pursuing Christ, like seeing it through that Christian worldview first, I think is so important. And like, yeah, it's okay to like seek out, like, I don't know, those other kind of worldviews. And almost when you do that, you can come to a more concrete kind of decision on where you do land on things. Yeah. And this makes me, I really want to read this book. It sounds really <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. So one, one of the quotes that, that the authors write is, is this, what is regrettable is not Christian's use of other templates, but ignoring of the theological template. And they yeah. say, in effect, they're selling their birthright. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And uh, th this book, by the way, um, it, it is at times a little bit critical and probably rightly so of how well Christians do at this kind of thinking, but they don't limit their critique to just the common person. Um, their critique extends to pastors as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, there's work for for all of us to do no matter what your starting place might be there is work to be done right and they in in not so many words accuse pastors of being lazy sometimes um for for not doing the hard work and just kind of defaulting to what they think they know based on their experience so hmm. yeah um yeah so maybe one more thing to reflect on because this is as far as we've gotten in the book so far um 
is resources for theological reflection. So how do we, what do we think about when we think about theological thinking? Where do we get our theological thinking from? Where, mm. where does it come from? Yeah. So the obvious answer is scripture. Yeah. Um, but there's often, and this comes from Wesleyan tradition, I, I believe it's sometimes been called the... Um, uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Wow. Yeah. That's a <laughs> um, four resources for theological thinking, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Um, Ooh, so that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Scripture is the obvious one. And as Mennonite brethren, we often call ourselves people of the book. And so if we had to rank these four things in terms of importance, we would put scripture at the top. Like this is, this is our best source of theology because it's God's word. It's his revealed truth uh, to us. And so I think rightly so, we would highly emphasize scripture. But as the authors uh, tell us, we have to be careful in how we use scripture because we can abuse scripture very easily. And, you know, we, we can be guilty of proof texting things, um, hmm. which basically means uh, just picking and choosing Bible verses that support a position we already hold rather totally. than at the entirety of scripture. And that that's interesting too. Cause like, even I was thinking like, I don't know, you can, like, there's things that we can completely learn from a cultural worldview, um, that do line up with scripture. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I do think that it, it doesn't just have to be one way or the other. Like maybe sometimes we have to unlearn something to, I don't know, learn it properly, but like, I think, yeah, cultural and scriptural world, worldview can really go together, but there has to be that line that's walked of like, oh yeah, not just picking and choosing that mm -hmm. one scripture to fit that specific worldview that you want to fit in with a scriptural worldview. But it's, yeah, that requires a full understanding of a passage and not just like picking it out and then leaving it as is. Yeah. And and we have a tendency to ignore passages that make us uncomfortable or that we don't understand yeah. properly or or deeply enough. Um, yeah. And that can lead us to overemphasize certain things at the expense of others. Hmm. So yeah. So scripture uh, clearly is one of our sources of theology. Uh, another one would be uh, tradition. And so uh, this would be stressed more highly in uh, high church traditions. Um, you know, Roman Catholic Church, for instance, would be would emphasize tradition a lot and um, maybe less so now than they used to. Uh, you know, when you think back to the uh, even the Reformation in the 16th century, um, the tradition of the church had superseded the authority of Scripture. And mm. so there are these things that were happening because this is what the, the church said needed to happen. And this is how we've always done it. Right. And this is how we've always right. done it is a dangerous phrase. Um, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that tradition is always wrong, right? Like there can be something yeah. really good in tradition that mm -hmm. this is why we've always done it this way or, um, but we have to be careful with our traditions that we don't let them become, um, you know, more important than they should be. Yeah. Um, so scripture and tradition is one way to kind of keep those things in balance to make sure that you're looking at both at the same time. But as, uh, as denominations, I think we, we do well to reflect on what are the traditions that we hold to and why do we hold to those kinds of things? Mm. Um, 
So that's another one. Um, a third source of theology would be reason. So in other words, Christianity is a reasonable faith. And so there are questions in this world about, um, about how worldviews work. There's an analysis of worldviews that happens. And the point of reason is that it actually lends credibility to the Christian story. Mm. Um, you know, when, when, as one participant in the, in the group said on Sunday that, um, you know, in John 1, verse 1, Jesus is referred to as the Logos, the Word, which in that kind of thinking is meant to be um, kind of a, um, uh, a logical, rational entity, right? Uh, mm. in, in Greek society, this was an important thing that Christ would be um, uh, logical, I guess, right? Like that it would make sense. Um, to the mind, what Christ came to do. And so the point of reason is that it actually brings us to confront the claims of Christianity, and we actually can find that they, they, they stand up to the criticism mm -hmm. of logic and reason. Totally. One of the things we, we recognize, though, is that, as Paul says in Corinthians, the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. And so to, to those who are perishing. And so you do have to look through the lens of faith uh, mm -hmm. in order to make sense of this to an extent. There, there are things that without the, the lens of faith won't make sense about Christianity. Yeah. Um, I feel like I was having a conversation. I think it was in middle school youth, like last week or something. And we were talking about just the concept of prayer and how like just asking really big questions about prayer um, like, you know, if God knows everything, then why do I still pray? And I think there were some other big questions, but it's like, it comes to a point when we're supposed to have big questions, because yeah. if we knew all the answers, we would be like, we would be God. And that's not how it was intended. So you're right. There's a place where it needs to, you know, be faith. Uh, but then, yeah, there's also like, we can use a lot of reason too. Like, even when I think about, um, like the legitimacy and like the reliability. That's not, those aren't the words I'm looking for, but um, I, I guess the reliability of the Bible itself, yeah. like yeah. when you look at how, you know, it's the most purchased book in the world and how old Testament prophecies have been proven true. And mm -hmm. there's like legitimate proof there that it's a historical living document. So that like for that, like that's reasonable to believe that like, Oh, the Bible is like, can be relied on. It's accurate. So there's, yeah, room for reason and faith in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the realm of apologetics, right? And these are people yeah. who are uh, uh, um, people who, who are apologists are devoted to helping people see that the Christian faith is clear and coherent and well-informed, right? Like mm -hmm. there are good reasons to believe this. Yeah. Um, but there does also need to be the faith part. So yeah. Um, the last one is experience and experience. I think we have to be careful with because in postmodern society, experience has become to mean whatever I experience is true for me and whatever you experience is true for you. And so, um, you know, whatever your experience says is whatever is true. But if we also understand that the human condition can lead us in all kinds of dangerous paths, then we have to be careful with making experience a source of our theology. However, we also know that we've had experiences in life in which God has intervened in our lives in a kind of almost tangible way 
or in a yeah. way in which it seemed really clear to us that, oh, God was involved in this. And that's yeah. an experience that God has given us that helps us to um, understand who he is and what he wants mm. for us. And I, and I think that, I think that one of the ways God speaks to us is through circumstances and through experiences. And so with discernment and with prayer, we can evaluate experiences to say, what is, where is God in this? Yeah. Um, at the same time, recognizing that we can very easily be misled or misinterpret experiences in a way that's actually not helpful. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's something that has always really stood out to me in the past. And again, like you're saying with discernment, because that's really important. And mm -hmm. some people have, you know, the spiritual gift of discernment, which is even better and more helpful. But I think, yeah, discerning like what is true and not. But I think especially when there is a really cool story about how like God has moved in somebody's life. Um, like those have been some of the most meaningful things for me in my own faith to hear like, mm -hmm. oh, God, like saw a need that this person had. And he filled that need. Like those are really impactful stories for myself. And even I found like when I tell youth stories about like, oh, well, I remember I just, you know, had this one time and God legitimately, you know, spoke to me through scripture. And I felt like that was so personal to me. Um, like those are things that I've found have really resonated with kids too, when they're listening yeah. is to hear yeah. those personal experiences can yeah. be so impactful for sure. Yeah. Well, that's why when we communicate, we're often telling stories, right? Yeah. Um, because these are experiences that, and I think that that's a skill that all of us can learn is to look around at things that have happened to us or mm -hmm. things that have happened in our lives or things that have happened in the world and say, what does this tell me about faith? What does this tell me about life and the world and about God? That's the life of every pastor is anytime yeah. anything happens to you, you're like, how can I use this in a sermon? Totally. Where's the, you know, where's the connection? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. But, but there's something about that though. I think that all of us should be doing right. Yeah. Because we, we can see God in a lot of different things. If we'll look around for them. Definitely. But we, we also need to have the eyes of discernment to, to not, you know, Lots of people have thought they had experiences with God that really weren't experiences with God. And so yeah. we don't want to do that. Yeah. It's careful to not just take everything at face value, but um, yeah, that, that's a whole other conversation too. Is like, <laughs> how, how can you discern that? Yeah. And so that's, that's part of where we're going in the second half of the book. Um, oh, they, cool. they talk about uh, a theological method. So then we're getting even more practical then as to how do you put all this together? Uh, you know, where do you start? Do you start from an anthropological lens, which is a human-centered perspective, starting with me and searching for theology? Or do you start from a revelatory perspective, starting with God and working towards me? And right. there's something to be said for both of those um, and some things to look out for with both of those things. Um, we need to understand the gospel. That's one of the chapters is what actually is the gospel and how does that apply to, to life? Um, yeah. how do we understand the human condition and how do we understand our vocation? Like, what are we supposed to do in this world? Not in terms of job, but in terms of being a Christian in this world, um, yeah. what's the role of community. And then, um, you know, how does the, how does the spirit empower us? So that's yeah. where the rest of the book goes. 
and what we're going to try and speed through in the next few weeks. But um, mm. anyways, I hope that's helpful to those who haven't read the book. Uh, and if you want to pick it up, it's How to Think Theologically, the third edition by Howard Stone and James Duke. And it is a really good resource. It's, like I said, not too long. Um, we'll take some careful reading, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not like a stuffy theology textbook where it's like, um, uh, you know, using words that you can't understand. And, and it's also not a, a doctrine based book. So it's not trying to study a particular the theological issue. So, you know, in most theology right. textbooks, the first chapter is on the doctrine of God. Right. And, and so right. that's where it starts and it evaluates God and his character and his attributes and, and so on and so forth. This book doesn't, isn't talking about that. It's talking about the process of thinking. Hmm. Honestly, you've painted a really good uh, picture of this book for me here. It's good. uh, and it definitely, it makes me like actually really want to read it myself too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's worthwhile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for, you know, illustrating that for our uh, listeners here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Do you have any other final comments or things you'd like to say to our audience, Craig? Uh, I don't think so, except that um, next time we hope to have proper microphones for our podcast, and True. we're going to sound like the angels sound, Ollie. Yeah, it, no, honestly, that that is true. We are <laughs> leveling up this podcast this year. Yeah, we've it, got some plans in the works that uh, are going to be true. good. So. Yeah, honestly, yeah, it, it's been it's been very fun podcasting. Yeah. I have quite enjoyed this ride myself. Yeah. And, yeah. and we should have said this at the very beginning, Holly. Oh, I have one no the, idea where this is going. <laughs> one of the fair criticisms of the Ross Road Connect podcast is that it could not be found on Apple podcasts. Oh, good. Yep. That's good. But we are, uh, we've either already have, or are very close to fixing that problem. It's and, it's uh, on Apple Podcasts. I looked. It is already. Okay, yeah. so it's there already. You can find it there and download it and uh, it'll be great. That's right. Yeah, honestly, that is a good day. It's funny because I am an avid Spotify user, but uh, for some reason, I listen to all of my podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Okay. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to all of our listeners. I am so sorry, everybody. My cat is just blocking the screen. And she, you know what? I thought we could end it without me acknowledging the fact that my cat is just being really annoying right now. But she tries to eat my plants and it's just, it's a, it's a mess. Elle likes the spotlight. She does, you know, she's just like her mom that way. So <laughs> <laughs> anyways, thank you so much to our mm -hmm. listeners. I hope you have a great rest of your day wherever you're at and we'll see you next time. Bye.